anti Oedipus? Nope. Never heard of it. <clears throat> I think his, his thesis is that uh, schizophrenia comes from capitalism. So. <laughs> what makes you laugh at that? That's funny. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. <clears throat> Any thoughts? No. In other words, there wasn't schizophrenia before capitalism? Well, we know that for a fact that there wasn't because schizophrenia is a modern invention, a modern title that they came up with. You know, back in the day, they might call the person, like, crazy, or they might call them, like, you know, they might make him a shaman in the old days or they might, you know, just kick him out of the community. But they didn't call, they didn't have the name schizophrenia until like, what was it? Like Freud's time and stuff, right? <clears throat> yeah, well, the name, the, the name didn't occur until then, yeah, but the phenomena occurred before then. Maybe not, is what you're saying. Maybe not because, well, because they, they, they think that, you know, <clears throat> even, even in like, uh, third world countries or, or in like tribal cultures people don't get schizophrenia if someone's starts to act different they they just treat them normal and the, and the guy gets better and it's not even like schizophrenia they see it as like something normal like whatever this guy's doing you know he's com communing with the spirits or i don't know whatever or he's in the spirit world or whatever but they don't think that and then the, and then the guy gets better but only that you know the idea is like in the western world it doesn't get better because they're so they're like oh you you have to you have to give him medicine or you have to you know torture him or you have to give it get him a you know we, we have to try to do something about it like rather than just like relax you know they, they just like let the let those guys do it whatever they want like in the like any thoughts no all right one desiring production it is at work everywhere functioning smoothly at times, at other times in fits and starts. It breathes, it heats, it eats, it shits and fucks. What a mistake to have ever said the id. Everywhere it is machines. Real ones, not figurative ones. Machines driving other machines. Machines being driven by other machines. With all the necessary couplings and connections. An organ machine is plugged into an energy source machine. The one produces a flow that the other interrupts. The breast is a machine that produces milk, and the mouth, a machine coupled to it. The mouth of the anorexic wavers between several functions. Its possessor is uncertain as to whether it is an eating machine, an anal machine, a talking machine, or a breathing machine. Asthma attacks. Hence, we are all handymen, each with his little machines. For every organ machine, an energy machine, all the time flows and interruptions. Judge Schraber has sunbeams in his ass, a solar anus, and rest assured that it works. Judge Schraber feels something, produces something, and is capable of explaining the process theoretically. Somet something is produced, the effects of a machine, not mere metaphors. A schizophrenic out for a walk is a better model than a neurotic lying on the analyst's couch. It does. <laughs> a breath of fresh air, a relationship with the outside world. Lenz's stroll, for example, is reconstructed by Buchner. This walk outdoors is different from the moments when Lenz finds himself closeted with his pastor, who forces him to situate himself socially in relationship to the god of established religion, in relationship to his father, to his mother. While taking a stroll outdoors, on the other hand, he is in the mountains, amid falling snowflakes, with other gods or without any gods at all, without a family, without a father or a mother, with nature. What does my father want? Can he offer me more than that? Impossible. Leave me in peace. Everything is a machine. Celestial machines. The stars are rainbows in the sky. Alpine machines. All of them connected to those of his body. The continual whir of machines. He thought that it must be a feeling of endless bliss to be in contact with the profound life of every form. To have a soul for rocks, metals, water, and plants. To take himself into himself. To take into himself, as in a dream, every element of nature, like flowers that breathe with the waxing and waning of the moon. To be a chlorophyll or a photosynthesis machine, or at least slip his body into such machines as one part among the others. 
Lens has projected himself back to a time before the man-nature dichotomy, before all the coordinates based on the fundamental dichotomy have been laid down. He does not live nature as nature, but as a process of production. There it does. No. What do you think he's talking about, like, about machines? Do you think we're machines, or it does? Well, I, I don't know yet what he means by that, but I'm, I'm looking forward to understanding, coming to an understanding of what he's talking about. There's no such thing as either man or nature now, only a process that produces the one within the other and couples machines together. Producing machines, desiring machines everywhere, schizophrenic machines, all of species life. The self and the non-self, outside and inside, no longer have any meaning whatsoever. Now that we have had a look at the stroll of a schizo, let us compare what happens when Samuel Beckett's characters decide to venture outdoors. Their various gates and methods of self-locomotion constitute in and of themselves a finely tuned machine. And then there is the function of the bicycle in Beckett's works. What relationship does the bicycle horn machine have with the mother anus machine? What a rest to speak of bicycles and horns. Unfortunately, it is not of them I have to speak, but of her who brought me into the world, through the hole in her arse, if my memory is correct. It is often thought that Oedipus is an easy subject to deal with, something perfectly obvious, a given that is there from the very beginning, but that is not so at all. Oedipus presupposes a fantastic repression of desiring machines. And why are they repressed? To what end? Is it really necessary or desirable to submit to such repression? And what means are to be used to accomplish this? What ought to go inside the Oedipal triangle? What sort of thing is required to construct it? Are a bicycle horn and my mother's arse sufficient to do the job? Aren't there more important questions than these, however? Given a certain effect, what machine is capable of producing it? And given a certain machine, what can it be used for? Can we possibly guess, for instance, what a knife rest is used for if all we are given is a geometrical description of it? Or yet another example, I'm being confronted with a complete machine made up of six stones in the right-hand pocket of my coat. The pocket that serves as the source of the stones. Five stones in the right-hand pocket of my trousers. And five in the left-hand pocket, transmission pockets. With the remaining pocket of my coat receiving the stones that have already been handled. As each of the stones moves from one pocket, how, as each of the stones moves forward from one pocket, how can we determine the effect of this circuit of distribution in which the mouth too plays a role as a stone sucking machine? Where in this entire circuit do we find the production of sexual pleasure? At the end of Malone dies, Lady Petal takes the schizophrenics out for a ride in a. It does. Sounds pretty crazy to me so far. <laughs> van and a rowboat, and a picnic in the midst of nature. An infernal machine is being assembled. Under the skin, the body is an overheated factory, and outside, the invalid shines, glows from every burst pore. This does not mean that we are attempting to make nature one of the poles of schizophrenia. What the schizophrenic experiences, both as an individual and as a member of the human species, is not at all any one specific aspect of nature, but nature as a process of production. What do we mean here by process? It is probable that at a certain level, nature and industry are two separate and distinct things. From one point of view, industry is the opposite of nature. From another, industry extracts its raw materials from nature. From yet another, it returns to its refuse to nature, and so on. Even within society, this characteristic man-nature, industry-nature, society-nature relationship is responsible for the distinction of relatively autonomous spheres that are called production, distribution, consumption. But in energy, this entire level of distinctions examined from the point of view of its formal developed structures presupposes, as Marx has demonstrated, not only the existence of capital and the division of labor, but also the false consciousness that the capitalist being necessarily acquires, both of itself and of the supposedly fixed elements within an overall process. For the real truth of the matter, the glaring sober truth that resides in delirium is that there is no such thing as relatively independent spheres or circuits. Production is immediately consumption and a recording process on register mom without any sort of mediation. 
the recording process and consumption directly determine production, though they do so within the production process itself. Hence, everything is production, production of productions, of actions and of passions, productions of recording processes, of distributions and coordinates that serve as points of reference. It does. not sure what he's saying is he saying everything existence is just a matter of mechanical production i don't know what do you think i have no idea i have no idea what he's talking about productions of consumptions of sensual pleasures of anxieties and of pain everything is production since the recording processes are immediately consumed immediately consummated and these consumptions are directly reproduced this is the first meaning of process as we use the term incorporating recording and consumption within production itself, thus making them the productions of one and the same process. Second, we make no distinction between man and nature. The human essence of nature and the natural essence of man become one within nature in the form of production or industry, just as they do within the life of man as a species. Industry is then no longer considered from the extrinsic point of view of utility, but rather from the point of view of its fundamental identity with nature as production of man and by man. Not man as the king of creation, but rather as the being who is in intimate contact with the profound life of all forms or all types of beings. It does. No. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say if uh, well, let's just listen to it for a little bit. If you can't figure out any of it, then then we can listen to something else. But but just tell me, uh, yeah, tell me if you don't want to listen anymore. But but we but see if we can get anything right. Okay who is responsible for even the stars and animal life, and who ceaselessly plugs an organ machine into an energy machine, a tree into his body, a breast into his mouth, the sun into his asshole, the eternal custodian of the machines of the universe. This is the second meaning of process as we use the term. Man and nature are not two opposite terms confronting each other, not even in the sense of bipolar opposites within a relationship of causation, ideation, or expression cause and effect, subject and object, etc. Rather, they are one and the same essential reality, the producer product. Production as process overtakes all idealistic categories and constitutes a cycle whose relationship to desire is that of an imminent principle. With us? No. This is why desiring production is the principal concern of a materialist psychiatry which conceives of and deals with the schizo as homo natura. This will be the case, however, only on one condition, which in fact constitutes the third meaning of process as we use the term. It, is not, it must not be viewed as a goal or an end in itself, nor must it be confused with an infinite perpetuation of itself, putting an end to the process or prolonging it indefinitely, which strictly speaking is tantamount to ending it abruptly and prematurely, is what creates the artificial schizophrenic found in mental institutions, a limp rag forced into autistic behavior, produced as an entirely separate and independent entity. D.H. Lawrence says of love, we have pushed a process into a goal. This aim of any process is not the perpetuation of that process, but the completion thereof. The process should work to a completion, not to some horror of intensification and extremity, wherein the soul and body ultimately perish. Schizophrenia is like love. There is no specifically schizophrenic phenomenon or entity. Schizophrenia is the universe of productive and reproductive desiring machines. Universal primary production as the essential reality of man and nature. Any thoughts? I, I guess what he's saying is that reality is just a, a mechanical or a mechanistic production process. I don't know. Desiring machines are binary machines, obeying a binary law or set of rules governing associations. One machine is always coupled with another. The productive synthesis, the production of production, is inherently connective in nature. And, and then, this is because there is always a flow-producing machine and another machine connected to it that interrupts or draws off part of this flow. The breast, the mouth, and because the first machine is in turn connected to another whose flow it interrupts or partially drains off, the binary series is linear in every direction. Desire constantly couples continuous flows and partial objects that are by nature fragmentary and fragmented. Desire causes the current to flow. Itself flows in turn and breaks the flows, 
I love everything that flows, even the menstrual flow that carries away the seed unfecund. Amniotic fluid spilling out of the sac and kidney stones. Flowing hair, a flow of spittle, a flow of sperm, shit, urine that are produced by partial objects and constantly cut off by other partial objects, which in turn produce other flows interrupted by other partial objects. Every object presupposes the continuity of a flow. Every flow, the fragmentation of the object. Doubtless, each organ machine interrupts, uh, doubtless, each organ machine interprets the entire world from the perspective of its own flux, from the point of view of the energy that flows from it. The eye interprets everything, speaking, understanding, shitting, fucking, in terms of seeing. But a connection with another machine is always established along a transverse path so that one machine interrupts the current of the other or sees its own current inter interrupted. Hence the cup it does. that takes place within the partial object flow connective synthesis also has another form, product producing. Producing is always something grafted onto the product. And for that reason, desiring production is production of production. Just as every machine is a machine connected to another machine, we cannot accept the idealist category of expression as a satisfactory or sufficient explanation of this phenomenon. We cannot, we must not attempt to describe the schizophrenic object without relating it to the process of production. The Cahier de la Brut is a striking example, is a striking confirmation of this principle. Since by taking such an approach, they deny that there is anything, that there is any such thing as a specific identifiable schizophrenic entity. It does. Uh, I just, I don't know how he's relating schizophrenia, schizophrenia to these mechanistic, mechanical processes. I, I just don't get it. Or to take another example, Henri Michaud describes a schizophrenic table in terms of a process of production, which is that of desire. Once noticed, it continued to occupy one's mind. It even persisted, as it were, in going about its own business. The striking thing was that it was neither simple nor really complex, initially or intentionally complex, or constructed according to a complicated plan. Instead, it had been desimplified in the course of its car carpentering. As it stood, it was a table of additions, much like sch certain schizophrenics' drawings, described as overstuffed, and if finished, it was only in so far as there was no way of adding anything more to it, the table having become more and more an accumulation, less and less a table. It was not intended for any specific purpose, for anything one expects of a table. Heavy, cumbersome, it was virtually immovable. One didn't know how to handle it, mentally or physically. Its top surface, the useful part of the table, having been gradually reduced, it was disappearing with so little relation to the clumsy framework that the thing did not strike one as a table, but as some freak piece of furniture, an unfamiliar instrument, for which there was no purpose. A dehumanized table, nothing cozy about it, nothing middle class, nothing rustic, nothing countrified, not a kitchen table or a work table. A table which lent itself to no function, self-protective, denying itself to service and communication alike. Perhaps it suggested a stalled engine. The schizophrenic is the universal producer. There is no need to distinguish here between producing and its product. We need merely note that the pure thisness of the object produced is carried over into a new act of producing. This table continues to go about its business. The surface of the table, however, is eaten up by the supporting framework. Non-termination of the table is a necessary consequence of its mode of production. When Claude Lévi-Strauss defines bricolage, he does so in terms of a set of closely related characteristics. The possession of a stock of materials or of rules of thumb that are fairly extensive, though more or less a hodgepodge, multiple and at the same time limited. The ability to rearrange fragments continually in new and different patterns or configurations and as a consequence and indifference toward the act of producing and toward the product, toward the set of instruments to be used and toward the overall result to be achieved. The satisfaction the handyman experiences when he plugs something into an electric socket or diverts a stream of water can sparsely be 
paint us. Hold on one second. Let me, let me just look at one thing real quick. Explained in terms of playing mommy daddy, or by pleasure, or by the pleasure of violating a taboo. The rule of continually producing production, of grafting producing onto the product, is a characteristic of desiring machines or of primary production. The production of production. A painting by Richard Lindner, Boy with Machine. Shows a huge, pudgy, bloated boy working one of his little desiring machines after having hooked it up to a vast technical social machine, which, as we shall see, is what even the very young child does producing a product, a product producing identity. It is this identity that constitutes a third term in the linear series an enormous, undifferentiated object. Everything stops dead for a moment, everything freezes in place. Even the whole process will begin all over again. From a certain point of view, it would be much better if nothing worked, if nothing functioned. Never being born, escaping the wheel of continual birth and rebirth, no mouth to suck with, no anus to shit through. Will the machines run so badly, their component pieces fall apart to such a point that they will return to nothingness, and thus allow us to return to nothingness? It would seem, however, that the flows of energy are still too closely connected, the partial object still too organic for this to happen. What would be required is a pure fluid in a free state, flowing without interruption, streaming over the surface of a full body. Desiring machines make us an organism, but at the very heart of this production, within the very production of this production, the body suffers from being organized in this way, from not having some other sort of organization or no organization at all. An incomprehensible, absolutely rigid stasis in the very midst of process, as a third stage. No mouth, no tongue, no teeth, no larynx, no esophagus, no belly, no anus. The automata stop dead and set free the unorganized mass they once served to articulate. The full body without organs is the un... Hey, it does? No, nothing new. Alright, hold on one second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you really quick what it, what it says online. About this and I had a person. Um, one second. Uh, let me just get it on real quick. Uh, let me see here one second. It says, uh, <clears throat> it says, Deluzi and Guattari, or it says, uh, it's, uh, respectively, all right, so it says, uh, Deluzi and Guattari analyze the relationship of desire to reality through the mental productivity of schizophrenia and psychosis and the social transformations that capitalism has brought forward. Both are intensely influencing consequences of each other's vast effects they write about psychology economics society the creative arts literature civilization psychiatry anthropology and history in engagement with the idea they outline a materialist psychiatry modeled on the unconscious in its relationship with its productive processes built on the concept of desiring production which interrelates desiring machines and bodies without organs offer a critique of sigmund freud psychoanalysis that especially focuses on the Oedipus complex and repurposed Karl Marx's materialist account of history of society's modes of production as a development through primitive, despotic, and capitalist societies that has increased social conditions that can be likened to schizophrenia. Any thoughts? Since Friedrich Nietzsche's idea, ideas of the will to power and eternal recurrence also have integral roles in how Deleuze and Guattari 
describes schizophrenia as vast and unbound as opposed to something linear and set in place, propelling its subjects toward unpredictable and revolutionary behavior. The book extends from much of Deleuze's work, Difference and Repetition, which similarly details being as vast and unbound. They also detail their different organizations of production, the act of inscription, an act inflicted on all social bodies, which corresponds with socially influencing effects of Marx's distribution and exchange, and they develop a critical practice that they call psychoanalysis or schizoanalysis, which the book proposes. And Oedipus became a sensation upon publication and widely celebrated work that shifted contemporary philosophy. It is seen as a key text in the micropolitics of desire. Hey, Doss? Do you understand it more? No, it says, Deleuze and schizoanalysis is a social and political analysis that responds to what they see as a reactionary tendency of psychoanalysis. It proposes a functional evaluation of the direct investments of desire, whether revolutionary or reactionary, in a field that is social, biological, historical, and geographical. Deleuze and Guattari develop four theses of schizoanalysis. One, every unconscious libidinal investment is social and bears upon a social historical field. Two, unconscious libidinal Investments of group or desire are distinct from pre-conscious investments of class or interest. Three, non-familial libidinal investments of the social field are primary in relation to familial investments. Four, social libidinal investments are distinguished according to two poles, a paranoic reactionary fascistizing pole and a schizoid revolutionary pole. Any thoughts? In contrast to psychoanalytic conception, schizoanalysis assumes that the libido does not need to be desexualized, sublimated, or to go by way of metamorphoses in order to invest economic and political factors. The truth is, Deleuze and Guattari explain sexuality is everywhere. The way a bureaucrat fondles his records, a judge administers justice, a businessman causes money to circulate, the way the bourgeoisie fucks the proletariat, and so on. Flags, nations, armies, banks get a lot of people aroused. In the terms of classical Marxism, Desire is part of the economic infrastructure base of society. They argue, not an ideological subjective superstructure. Any thoughts? Unconscious libidinal investments of desire coexist without necessarily coinciding with preconscious investments made according to the needs or ideological interests of the subject, individual, or collective who, who desires. A form of societal production and reproduction along with its economic and financial mechanisms its political formations and so on can be desired as such, in whole or in part, independently of the interests of the desiring subject. It was not by means of metaphor, even a paternal metaphor, that Hitler was able to sexually arouse the fascists. It is not by means of metaphor that a banking or stock market transaction to claim a coupon or credit is able to arouse people who are not necessarily bankers. And what about the effects of money that grows, money that produces more money? These are socioeconomic complexes that are also veritable complexes of, un, of the unconscious and that communicate a voluptuous wave from the top to the bottom of their hierarchy, the military-industrial complex. In ideology, Oedipus and the phallus have nothing to do with this because they depend on it rather than being its impetus. How in the subject who desires, desire can be made to desire its own repression. Whence the role of the death instinct in the circuit connection desire to the social sphere. Desire produces even the most repressive and the most deadly forms of social reproduction. Any thoughts? Nope. It says desiring machines and social production. The traditional understanding of desire assumes an exclusive distinction between production and acquisition. The line of thought, which has dominated Western philosophy throughout its history and stretches from Plato to Freud and Lacan, understands desire through the concept of acquisition, insofar as desire seeks to acquire something that it lacks. The dominant conception, Deleuze and Guattari argue, is a form of philosophical idealism. Alternative conceptions which treat desire as a positive, productive force have received far less attention. The ideas of the small number of philosophers who have developed them, however, are of crucial importance to Deleuze and Guattari's project, principally Nietzsche's Will to Power and Spinoza's Conatus. Deleuze and Guattari argue that desire is a positive process of production that produces reality. Any thoughts? No. On the basis of three passive uh, syntheses, per partly modeled on concept synthesis of a perception, 
from his critique of pure reason, desire, engineers, partial objects, flows, and bodies in the service of the autopoiesis of the unconscious. In this model, desire does not lack its object. Instead, desire is a machine and the object of desire is another machine connected to it. Um, on this basis, Deleuze and Guattari developed their notion of desiring production. Since desire produces reality, social production with its forces and relations is purely and simply desiring production itself under determinate conditions. Any thoughts? Like their contemporary Artie Lang and like Reich before them, Deleuze and Guattari make a connection between psychological repression and social oppression. By means of their concept of desiring production, however, their manner of doing so is radically different. They desire a universe composed of desiring machines, all of which are connected to one another. There are no desiring machines that exist outside the social machines that they form on a large scale, and no social machines without the desiring machines that inhabit them on a small scale. Any thoughts? When they insist that a social field may be invested by desire directly, they oppose Freud's concept of sublimation, which posits an inherent dualism between desiring machines and social production. The dualism, they argue, limited and trapped the revolutionary potential of the theories of Lang and Reich. Deleuze and Guattari develop a critique of Freud and Lacan's psychoanalysis, anti-psychiatry, and Freudo-Marxism, which it's with its insistence on a necessary mediation between the two realms of desire and the social. Deleuze and Guattari's concept of sexuality is not limited to the interaction of male and female gender roles, but instead posits a multiplicity of flows that 100,000 desiring machines create within their connected universe. Deleuze and Guattari contrast this non-human molecular sexuality to molar binary sexuality. Making love is not just becoming as one or even two, but becoming 100,000, they write. Adding that we always make love with worlds. Any thoughts? No. Says so reframing the Oedipal complex. The anti part of their critique of Freudian Oedipal complex begins with that original model articulation of society based on the family triangle of father, mother, and child. Criticizing psychoanalysis familialism, they want to show that the Oedipal model of the family is a kind of organization that must colonize its members, repress their desires, and give them complexes if it is so to, it is the sole function as an organizing principle of society instead of conceiving the family as a sphere contained by a larger social sphere and giving a logical preeminence to the family triangle Deleuze and Guattari argue that the family should be opened onto the social as in Bergson's concept of the open and that underneath the pseudo opposition between family composed of personal subjects and social lies the relationship between pre-individual desire and social production any thoughts Furthermore, they argue that schizophrenia is an extreme mental state co coexistent with the capitalist system itself, and capitalism keeps enforcing neurosis as a way of maintaining normality. However, they oppose a non-clinical concept of schizophrenia as deterritorialization to the clinical end result schizophrenic, i.e. they do not intend ro to romanticize mental disorders. Instead, they show, like Foucault, that psychiatric disorders are always second to something else. Any thoughts? interesting yeah i guess like even Foucault, um, i think i think what Foucault said was like you know that that society needs schizophrenics it needs these people to be like the scapegoats or you know like like it needed lepers and it and it needs these people as as like the the scapegoats or or, or and, and and the people willingly take on that role you know any thoughts You know, it's, it's like lesion. People need lesion. That's why the people were upset when lesion was healed, you know? They want lesion. They want the crazy guy that they that they can tie up. You know, any thoughts? No. Says the Luzi and Guattari develop their concept of the body without organs, often rendered as BWO, from Antonin Artaud's text, to have done with the judgment of God. Since desire can take on as many forms as there are persons to implement it it must seek new channels and different combinations to realize itself forming a body without organs for every instance desire is not limited to the affections of a subject nor the material state of the subject bodies without organs cannot be forced or willed into existence however and they are essentially the product of a zero intensity condition that Deleuze and Guattari like link to catatonic schizophrenia that also becomes the model of death 
Any thoughts? No. This criticism of psychoanalysis. Aluzi and Guattari address the case of Gerard Mendel, Bella Gundert, and Smurgle, who were prominent members of the most respected psychoanalytic tradition. They argue that this case demonstrates that psychoanalysis enthusiastically embraces a police state. As to those who refuse to be oedipalized in one form or another, at one end or other in the treatment, the psychoanalysis is there to call the asylum or the police for help. The police on our side. Never did psychoanalysis better display its taste for supporting the movement of social repression and for participation it, it with enthusiasm. Notice the dominant tone in most respected associations. Consider Dr. Mendel and Dr. Stefani the state of fury that is theirs and their literally police-like appeal at the thought that someone might try to escape the Oedipal dragnet. Oedipus is one of those things that becomes all the more dangerous the less people believe in it. And then the cops are there to replace the high priest. Any thoughts? Bella Grunberger and Kajun Schmergel were two psychoanalysts from the Paris section of the International Psychoanalytic Association. In November 1968, they disguised themselves under the pseudonym Stephanie, in, in which they argued that the left-wing rioters of May 68 were totalitarian Stalin, uh, Stalinists and proceeded to psychoanalyze them as suffering from a sordid infant infantilism caught up in an Oedipal revolt against the father. Jacques Lacan regarded Grunberg and Smurgel's book with great disdain. While they were still disguised under the pseudonym, Lacan remarked that he was certain that neither author belonged to his school, as none would abase themselves to such low, uh, low drivel. The IPA analysts responded with an accusation against the Lacan school of intellectual terrorism. Fascism, the family, any thoughts? Fascism, the family, and the desire for oppression. Desiring self-oppression. Deleuze and Guattari address a fundamental problem of political philosophy. The contradictory phenomenon whereby an individual or a group comes to desire their own oppression. This contradiction has been mentioned briefly in the 17th century philosopher Spinoza. Why do men fight for the servitude as stubbornly as though it were their salvation? Any thoughts? That is, how is it possible that people cry for more taxes, less bread? Wilhelm Reich discussed the phenomenon in his 1933 book, The Mass Psychology of Fascism. The astonishing thing is not that people steal or that others occasionally go out on strike, but rather that all those who are starving do not steal as a regular practice, and all those who are exploited are not continually out on strike. After centuries of exploitation, why do people still tolerate being humiliated and enslaved to such a point? Indeed, that they actually want humiliation and slavery not only for others but for themselves. Any thoughts? To address this well, question, see, the, only thought I, the only thought I have about this whole thing is they're analyzing causes and effects, and and it's a very unique approach that they're taking to that. But uh, I don't, I don't really make sense out of the whole thing. So it says to address the, this question, Deleuze, and how would you do it other than causes and effects? Any thoughts? Transpersonal perspective. See, they're looking at 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 the the interpersonal causes and effects. Any thoughts? No. It says to, to address this question, what would you do? Any thoughts? No, I would just address the issue from a transpersonal perspective. You, rather than you just you just try to tell them to change your software or what? To address this question, Deleuze and Guattari examine the relationship between social organization, power, and desire, particularly in relation to the Freudian Oedipal complex and its familial mechanisms of subjectivization, daddy, mommy, me. They argue that the nuclear family is the most powerful agent of psychological repression, under which the desires of the child and the adolescent are repressed and perverted. Such psychological repression forms docile individuals that are easy targets for social repression. By using this powerful mechanism, the dominant class making cuts and segregations pass over into a social field can ultimately control individuals or groups ensuring general submission. Any thoughts? No. This explains a contradictory phenomenon in which people act manifestly counter to their class interests when they rally to the interests uh, and ideals of a class that their own subjective situation should lead them to combat. Deleuze and Guattari's critique of these mechanisms seeks to promote a revolutionary liberation of desire. Any thoughts? 
If desire is repressed, it is because every position of desire, no matter how small, is capable of calling into question the established order of a society. Not that desire is asocial, on the contrary, but it is explosive. There is no desiring machine capable of being assembled without demolishing entire social sectors. Despite what some revolutionaries think about this, desire is revolutionary in its essence. Desire, not left-wing holidays. And no society can tolerate a position of real desire without its structure of exploitation, servitude, and hierarchy being co compromised. Any thoughts? Says the family under capitalism as an agent of repression. The family is an agent to which capitalist production delegates the psychological repression of the desires of the child. Psychological repression is a distinguished is distinguished from social oppression insofar as it works unconsciously. Any thoughts? Through it, Deleuze and Guattari argue parents transmit their angst and irrational fears to their child and bind the child's sexual desires to feelings of shame and guilt. Psychological repression is strongly linked with social oppression, which levers on it. It is thanks to psychological repression that individuals are transformed into docile servants of social repression who come to desire self-repression and who accept a miserable life as employees of, for capitalism. Any thoughts? just describing cause and effect because this happens and this happens that causes certain results so he's always looking at surface phenomena rather than the meaning behind it a capitalist society needs a powerful tool to counteract the explosive force of desire which has the potential to threaten its structures of exploitation servitude and hierarchy the nuclear family is precisely the powerful tool able to counteract those forces the action of the family not only performs the psychological repression of desire, but it disfigures it, giving rise to a consequent neurotic desire, the perversion of incestuous drives and desiring self-repression. The Oedipus complex arises from this double operation. It is in one and the same movement that the repressive social production is replaced by the repressing family and that the latter offers a displaced image of desiring production that represents the repressed as incestuous familial drives. Any thoughts? Capitalism and the political economy of desire. Territorialization, deterritorialization, and re-territorialization. Although, like most deluso guterian terms, deterritorialization has a purposeful variance in meaning through their overt. It can be roughly described as a move away from a rigidly imposed hierarchical abhorrent a context which seeks to package things, concepts, objects, etc. into discrete categorized units with singular coded meanings or identities toward a rhizomatic zone of multiplicity and fluctancy identity where meaning and operations flow freely between sad things resulting in a dynamic, constantly changing set of interconnected entities with fuzzy individual boundaries. Importantly, the concept implies a continuum, not a simple binary. Every act, assemblage, a flexible term alluding to the heterogeneous composition of any complex system, individual, social, geological, is marked by simultaneous movements of territorialization, maintenance, and of deterritorialization dissipation. Various means of deterritorialization are alluded to by the authors in their chapter, How to Make Yourself a Body Without Organs. In a thousand plateaus, including psychoactives uh, such as peyote. Experientially, the effect of such substances can include a loosening relative deterritorialization of the worldview of the user, i.e. his beliefs, models, etc., subsequently leading to an anti-re-deterritorialization anti remapping of beliefs, models that is not necessarily identical to the prior territory. Any thoughts? Deterritorialization is closely related to deluso guterian concepts such as a line of flight, destratification, and the body without organs a term borrowed from Artaud and is sometimes defined in such a way as to be partly interchangeable with these terms, most specifically in the second part of Capitalism and Schizophrenia, a Thousand Plateaus. Deleuze and Guattari posit that dramatic re-territorialization often follows relative deterritorialization, while absolute deterritorialization uh, de is just that, absolute deterritorialization without a re-territorialization. Uh, terminology borrowed from science. During the course of their argument, Deleuze and Guattari borrow a number of concepts uh, from different scientific fields. To describe the process of desire, they draw on fluid dynamics, the branch of physics that studies how a fluid fluid flows through space. 
the that's interesting because the uh, the second quadrant is desire, belief, faith, behavior, belonging, and that's related to water, which is the second quadrant element. But they describe society in terms of forces acting in a vector field. They also relate processes of their body without organs to the embryology of an egg, from which they borrow the concept of an inductor. Any thoughts? The philosopher Michel Foucault wrote that anti-Oedipus can be read as an art in the sense that it is conveyed by the term erotic art. Foucault considered the book's three adversaries as the bureaucrats of the revolution, the poor technicians of desire, uh, psychoanalysis and semiologists, and the major enemy, fascism. Foucault used the term fascism to refer not only historical fascism, the fascism of Hitler and Mussolini, but also the fascism in us all, in our heads and in our everyday behavior. The fascism that causes us to love power, to desire the very thing that dominates and exploits us. Foucault added the anti-Oedipus is a book of ethics, the first book of ethics to be written in France in quite a long time, and suggested that this explains its popular success. Foucault proposed that the book could be called Introduction to Non-Fascist Life. Foucault argued that Putting the principles espoused in anti-Oedipus into practice involves freeing political action from unitary and totalizing paranoia and withdrawing allegiance from the old category of the negative law limit castration lack lacuna which Western thought has long held sacred as a form of power and access of reality. Any thoughts? The psychiatrist David Cooper described anti-Oedipus as a magnificent vision of madness and as a revolutionary force, crediting its authors with using the psychoanalytic language and discourse of Saussure and his successors to pit linguistics against itself in what is already proving to be a historic act of depassment. The critic Frederick Cruz wrote that when Deleuze and Guattari indicated Lacanian psychoanalysis as a capitalist disorder and pillared analysts as the most sinister priest manipulators of psychotic society, their demonstration was widely regarded as unanswerable and devastated the already shrinking Lacanian camp in Paris. Any thoughts? No. The philosopher Douglas Kilner described Anti-Oedipus as its era's publishing sensation and also <coughs> uh, uh, challenged the mystique of the family, but they did so in the spirit of nihilism, commenting immersion in the world of schizoculture and desire machines is enough to make a person yearn for secure madness of the nuclear family. Any thoughts? Anthony Elliott described Anti-Oedipus as a celebrated work that scandalized French psychoanalysis and generated heated dispute among intellectuals. Okay. Rejection of institutionality as such. Okay. Um, all right, let's 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 listen to just listen to the rest of what we got here. Productive, unsterile, the unengendered, the unconsumable. Antonin Arto discovered this one day, finding himself with no shape or form whatsoever. Well, I was going to ask him, but do you think that loneliness is a, is a very big thing in today's society and stuff? Any thoughts? Well, apparently, as a result of, of the COVID restrictions, yes. What about before that? Yeah, well, probably even before that, there was like you know because like a lot of people say that there's like there's there's a lot of Facebook and stuff and kind of like superficial uh, interaction, but not as much you know face to face and stuff. I don't know. Do you think that that's a problem or, or any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, like having a support system is beneficial. You learn a lot from your your associations and stuff, right? But you know, you would talk about that. There's also like a special relationships, which is self confirmatory. But at the same time, it's it's healthy to have. Uh, emotional healthy emotional environment so that you can grow up out of that and, and, and merge and blossom from that right any thoughts yeah yeah well that's the water in which we float our boats any thoughts we need the water we need a we need a good water there where he was at that moment the death instinct that is its name and death is not without a model for desire desires death also because the full body of death is its motor just as that desires life, because the organs of life are the working machine. We shall not inquire how all this fits together so that the machine will run. So so what, what do you think about the idea of like comparing humans to machines? Is, is, is that like the definition of dehumanizing or what? 
Well, again, it, 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 it just fits this whole, what appears to be this whole model, namely looking at interpersonal transactions. This is, this is what happens between people, and you describe that mechanistically rather than psychologically. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, Anne? No. What's the meaning of that? Any thoughts? No. The question itself is the result of a process of abstraction. Desiring machines work only when they break down, and by continually breaking down, Judge Schreber lived for a long time without a stomach, without intestines, almost without lungs, with a torn esophagus, without a bladder, and with shattered ribs. He used sometimes to swallow part of his own larynx with his food, etc. The body without organs is non-productive. Nonetheless, it is produced at a certain place and a certain time in the connective synthesis as the identity of producing and the product. The schizophrenic table is a body without organs. The body without organs is not the product of an original nothingness, nor is it what remains of a lost totality. Above all, it is not a projection. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the body itself or with an image of the body. It is the body without an image. This imageless, organless body, the non-productive, exists right there where it is produced. In the third stage of the binary linear series, it is perpetually reinserted into the process of production. The catatonic body is produced in the water of the hydrotherapy tub. The full body without organs belongs to the realm of anti-production. But yet another characteristic of the connective or productive synthesis is the fact that it couples production with anti-production, with an element of anti-production. Two. Hey, does? No. So what do you think about his ideas of like the nuclear family being repressive and stuff? Any thoughts? Well, again, he's just describing interpersonal cause and effect phenomena. An apparent conflict arises between desiring machines and the body without organs. Every coupling of machines, every production of a machine, every sound of a machine running becomes unbearable to the body without organs. Beneath its organs, it senses there are larvae and loathsome worms, and a god at work messing it all up or strangling it by organizing it. The body is the body. It is all by itself and has no need of organs. The body is never an organism. Organisms are enemies of the body. Merely so many nails piercing the flesh, so many forms of torture... In order to resist organ machines, the body without organs presents its smooth, slippery, opaque, taut surface as a barrier. It does? I was going to ask though too, you know, what what do you think about people who say like, don't date a hot girlfriend? Because they'll be like, if you have a hot girlfriend, all the guys are going to try to get at her. They say like, you know, date date like just a a normal looking girl. Like, what do you think about that? Trying to develop a strategy but for it, preventing bad things from happening. Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe it's like, I mean, but but think about it. It could be distracting if you have a really hot girlfriend and like guys are always trying to hit on her. Like that, that could take away your attention and energy, right? Like any thoughts? Yeah. Right. But any thoughts? No. In order to resist linked, connected, and interrupted flows, it sets up a counterflow of amorphous, undifferentiated fluid. In order to resist using words composed of articulated phonetic units, it utters only gasps and cries that are sheer, unarticulated blocks of sound. We are of the opinion that what is ordinarily referred to as primary repression means precisely that. It is not a counter-cathexis, but rather this repulsion of desiring machines by the body without organs. This is the real meaning of the paranoiac machine. The desiring machines attempt to break into the body without organs. And the body without organs repels them, since it experiences them. Any thoughts on it? What does no. it mean by body without organs? Any thoughts? No. 
as an overall persecution apparatus. Thus, we cannot agree with Mr. Victor Tosk when he regards the paranoiac machine as a mere projection of a person's own body and the genital organs. The genesis of the machine lies precisely here, in the opposition of the pro process of production of the desiring machines and the non-productive stasis of the body without organs. The anonymous nature of the machine and the non-differentiated nature of its surface are proof of this. Projection enters the picture only secondarily, as does counter-investment, as the body without organs invests a counter-inside or counter-outside in the form of a persecuting organ or some exterior agent of persecution. But in and of itself, the paranoiac machine is merely an avatar of the desiring machines. It is a result of the relationship between the desiring machines and the body without organs, and occurs when the latter can no longer tolerate these machines. If we wish to have some idea of the forces that the body... It does? No. Wait, what do you think about intention, Grandpa? Is intention important? I don't know. I guess that's another another form of commitment. What your intention is is your commitment. Cause I don't you, know. You hear a lot of that never lot from like New Agers. They talk about like yeah, you know, you have to have the right set set the right intentions and stuff. You know, it does. I guess that's also for like manifesting. You know, it does. Yeah, could be. Without organs, exerts later on the uninterrupted process, we must first establish a parallel between desiring production and social... What do you think about what he was saying that some people want to be, like, repressed? You know, any thoughts of that? Okay. Well, again, that's just... He's looking for... for reasons. Production. We shall... Uh, we intend such a parallel to be regarded as merely phenomenological. We are here drawing no conclusions whatsoever as to the nature of the relationship of the two productions, nor does the parallel we are about to provide, we are about to establish, provide any sort, uh, any sort of a priori answer to the question whether desiring production and social production are really two separate and distinct productions. Its one purpose is to point out the fact that the forms of social production, like those of desiring production, involve an unengendered non-productive attitude, an element of anti-productive, an element of anti-production coupled with the process, a full body that functions as a socius. This socius may be the body of the earth, that of the tyrant or capital. This is the body that Marx is referring to when he says that it is not the product of labor, but rather appears as its natural or divine presupposition. In fact, it does not restrict itself merely to opposing productive forces in and of themselves. It falls back on ilsa rabasur, all production, constituting a surface over which the forces and agents of production are distributed, thereby appropriating for itself all surplus production and arrogating to itself both the whole and the parts of the process, which now seem to emanate from it as a quasi-cause. Forces and agents come to represent a miraculous form of its own power. They it does. No. I was going to ask you, but what do you think of like just war theory? That there's just wars. Any thoughts on it? It's a concession to a working process, yeah. But, but what about like a... Like a... It could be a concession, but at the same time, like, aren't both sides both usually in the wrong in some way? Like, it does. Yeah. It's like liberal versus... versus. No, it's very clear that that uh, slavery needed to be stopped mm -hmm. and that Hitler needed to be stopped. But then you know, the, but then you know the 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 right wingers do have points. So like the, the right wingers were the the slaveholders, and the right wingers were the were the Nazis and stuff. But you know the Nazis have points. What they're trying to say is, hey, all this do whatever you want to do. That's not the flow. But then the liberals are saying, hey, all that you know, making everybody 
be a fascist, that's not the flow either. Is that is that what's going on? Any thoughts? I don't know. What, what do you think, though? You know, it, it's, it's kind of like a... The... I don't know. What? I don't know what to say. It, it's kind of like yeah, that... That's changing my focus. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that book, 1984, where, where they're, you know... Where they're talking about like, yeah, let's uh, they started a communist society, but they didn't have any like transpersonal ideas. It was just like you know, just have sex whenever, just do whatever. But it was like, do your own whims. Like any thoughts? No. Appear to be. That's about enough for the. That's about enough for tonight. I can't think anymore. Okay. Okay. Bye. Anti-Oedipus. Incomprehensible schizoanalysis, which models his records. A judge administers justice. A businessman causes money to circulate. The credit is able to arouse people who are not necessarily bankers. And what about the effects of money that grows, money that produces more money? These are socioeconomic complexes that are also veritable complexes of, un of the unconscious in that communicate a voluptuous from the top to the bottom of their hierarchy, the military-industrial complex, an ideology, Oedipus, and the phallus have nothing to do with this because they depend on it rather than being its impetus.